Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. In 2022, a pair of former ball players and a talented young broadcaster were tasked with creating a college football podcast. These men promptly escaped into the mountains of West Virginia and got to work. If you want top-level football analysis, off-topic stories, and locker room humor, you're in the right place. You are in the gun. In the gun, episode number 69. It's time to flip to the other side of the football, both other sides of the football. We're going to talk a little defense, a little special teams as well, too, as we continue our WVU preview series here. Defense, yeah, get, the Gibby era. Looked like, yeah. I was going to say, that looks like a Gibby t-shirt that you got on yeah. there. Um, as uh, as we continue to get you ready for the regular season right around the corner, just a couple weeks here until things get going out there in Happy Valley against Penn State. Wesley Euler, Jed Drenning in the gun with you here. Our, uh, our dear Owen Schmidt, he's having um, some back issues uh, and is in some pain, tweaked himself a little bit at work. So he's a little laid up trying to recover. We told him to take it easy tonight. And, uh, and Jed and I will just knock this one out, this episode of ITG. So you got Euler, you got the signal caller. And as always, we are brought to you in part by Bet Bet BetOnline is your number one source for all of your betting needs. You can get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and all of your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE when you sign up for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's B-L-E-A-V at BetOnline where the game starts. And Jed, speaking of wagers here, headlines to get us started as always, before we jump into this, um, you sent us a tweet, an interesting tweet. Um, in the last 11 seasons, there have been 10 teams, so pretty close to one every single year, uh, who start the season in the top 10 and finish the season completely unranked. So from preseason top 10 to completely unranked, um, you, it's a list of the, the the coaches that you sent us here. Um, it's happened to Jimbo Fisher three times in the last decade. So I take that back, actually, 10 coaches in the last 11 years, more than 10 yeah, teams, right. but 10 that's coaches right. in the last 11 years. It's happened three times alone to Jimbo Fisher, once to Dave Aranda and Baylor, last year to Brent Venables in Oklahoma, Mac Brown and UNC two years ago, Matt Campbell in Iowa State two years ago, James Franklin and Penn State two years ago. 2021 was a was a big year. A lot of the teams, four of the top 10 teams that year didn't even finish the season ranked. Uh, Mario Cristobal at Oregon, Gus Malzahn twice at Auburn, Brian Kelly in 2016 at Notre Dame, and Lane Kiffin. Yes, Lane Kiffin back at USC in 2012. Doesn't that seem like a lot more than a decade or so ago that Lane Kiffin was still at USC. So you you thought it would be fun to kind of uh, take a look at the top 10 here. 
who we think could be that team this year. Your preseason AP top 25 real quick for those who aren't sure or just need a refresher. Georgia, number one, of course, the back-to-back defending national champions. Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, LSU. That's your top five. Then Southern California, Penn State, Florida State, Clemson, and Washington at number 10. So there's your top 10, Jed. Any of those names stand out for you as teams um, and coaching staffs that you think preseason top 10, but by the time this uh, dust settles in you know, December and January, they could be on the outside of the polls looking in. I like your way, the way you set the table and explained that because you were clear with the parameters. A lot of people that I've heard on national radio this week discussing this, kind of the middle of the conversation and lose track of what they're talking about. And they're like, well, no wonder they fell out of the top 10. No, no, no. Very clearly, preseason top 10, you fell out of the polls. You weren't ranked. So you fall all the way out of the top 25. Not really that surprising if you think about it, that as you mentioned, it was such an issue in 2021 for multiple teams because what's this all based on? It's based on preseason rankings and what happened the previous year. Well, coming COVID. out 2020 COVID, you had half a sample size of what you normally have. So nobody could get a true reader, a true beat on what was playing out in the top 10 going into 2021. Uh, so when you look at that, uh, probably not all that surprising that that was the one-off crazy year. But if, if you're going to go through the teams that are candidates for the coaches that are candidates here, I, I mean, starting at the top, Georgia, I, I'm not so sure. I, I think that schedule, and I, I always recognize how difficult it is to just assume you can beat the field, right? But when right. you look at Georgia's schedule, I mean, let's face it, they're a Tennessee game away from being 12-0. and 0. It's what it looks like. But you do got to play the games. They might stub their toe. Uh, you would say they might be an injury or two away from suffering, but they've got such incredible depth. But their schedule sets up so nicely. Now, part of that, to be fair, as I understand it, they had Oklahoma scheduled. And then by virtue of what's happening with Oklahoma joining the SEC, they had to kind of pivot at the last minute. So the Oklahoma game was you know, replaced by a powder puff. So uh, th- their schedule is about as easy as you can get. Again, a Tennessee win, in my estimation, away from being 12 and 0, potentially. So yeah, I, no, I, no Alabama, I, no LSU yeah, for them until, in the regular until you season. Get to the SEC championship game, a yeah. lot of assumptions being made, of course, but but so I, I don't I don't think it's Georgia, uh, Michigan. It, it seems to me, Michigan was a missed tackle with ten minutes to go against TCU, Quentin Johnston, which turned into a seventy yard touchdown. They get a stop there. I don't know. I mean, I, it would have been interesting to see them go nose to nose with Georgia in the national mm-hmm. championship. I think this is the year. Uh, I think Harbaugh recognizes with, with all the goings on, it, it's starting to sound like this is a lot more than a hamburger. Uh, this might be his last year in Ann Arbor. Some people are speculating that he might be done with the nonsense as he sees it of the NCAA and move back to the NFL and leave all this behind just to stay ahead of the NCAA posse. So I, I do think that Michigan recognizes what's at stake here, and they're built to do it. With all these key pieces they have back, they're built to do it. I'd be very surprised if they come apart at the seams. Uh, Ohio State, Ryan Day's feeling the pressure. As strange as that might sound, like when I talked to my Ohio State people, I said, look, what are the odds that they have another banner a year, but he loses to Harbaugh again? What are the odds? What? And then yeah. 60-40, he stays. What? 60-40? You got be, so He's going. He's winning 10 or 11 play. games every year and somehow is on the hot seat. Yeah, so I think the talent gap is just too great between them and most of the rest of the league uh, outside of a couple teams. Uh, so I don't think they're a candidate. 
uh, Alabama, when I look at Alabama, here's the thing. There's question marks at quarterback. There's question marks that you don't typically expect coming out of camp with Alabama. But, you know, as Skyler and I did an episode in which we were looking at interesting non-conference games that were later. Uh, but one of the things I get the sense of with Alabama, you know what's been completely absent this offseason in Tuscaloosa? There hasn't been a sniff of it. No rat poison. No rodenticide. Yeah, they're right. not the they're not the preseason no, darlings every no, year. They, they are not. For, for, and for and I'm telling years. you what, a guy like Nick Saban relishes that. He loves that. He, you know, it's it's part of the grind to him. So I, I kind of just get the sense they're going to find a way to figure it out. And if they underachieve, wow, I'll tell you what, the passing of the torch is legitimate, and Georgia is the new heavy in the SEC and on the college football landscape at large. So I, I don't think it's Alabama. LSU to me is a curious case. Uh, what kind of year two are we going to have out of Brian Kelly? They gained some steam down the stretch, but an SEC schedule might not be what it once was, but it's still tricky. There's still some some potential some potential pitfalls in that SEC West schedule. Nothing's a given there. Brian Kelly's been on this list before. This has happened to him before at Notre Dame. So I'm not going to rule them out. Then go to USC. Uh, USC as quarterback rich as it is, that might be a league that could. They're the game. first. They're the first team that I see on this list that makes my ears perk up a little bit. I, Wes, I could see him dropping out of the top ten. That's the thing, though, to go all the way. I will say this, though, Jay. It's going to be ironic since it's kind of like the dead man walking conference now. This is the last year of the Pac-12 as we know it. The Pac-12 could be pretty stinking good this year. They sure could. They're the best quarterbacks of any conference in the country. And And I I think by far, I think you're right. And, I mean, you look at it right now. They've got two teams in the top ten in Washington and Southern Cal. Utah is ranked at 14. Oregon at 15. Oregon State at 18. Uh, I mean, yeah. that's a, that's a pretty good conference. They got five teams there in the top eighteen. Yes. Um, but out of the top ten, when you have a or sorry, out of the rankings completely, when you have yeah, a guy like perfect. Caleb William, I mean, they would have to finish eight, seven of even at eight and four. They might still finish ranked twenty third in the, the country, country. something right. like that. Yeah. So that's that's a that's a tough one too. But that was the first one that kind of made my made my ears perk up with Southern California because it wouldn't the shock way- me. You might be onto something here. Is in the modern age, it's so difficult to forecast what might happen next. What happens if two or three of those teams upset the apple cart and do? I mean, if you study the schedule, this is possible. If they do knock USC's grand plans off midway through the season, does Caleb Williams become the first marquee guy to say, "I'm the number one overall pick"? Why am I doing this? What am I in this? Yeah. For? Does by, he in, by, in by Halloween or by Halloween or something? Up? He's yes. like, yeah. I mean, so then the wheels may come off. So, so outside of that, I, I agree with you. Top ten, maybe, but top twenty-five is hard, hard to see outside of that. Penn State, eh, eh. I know it's happened to them but before, but it's Jen, it's the same. It's the same conversation with Michigan and Ohio State. Like even if those guys lose to each other. Who else is going to beat aside from those three teams? The Big Ten is is not very good. Well, I mean, I know like Wisconsin's this. ranked in the top twenty, but yes, new coaching I mean, I staff, take, first year. You know, I take Ohio State and Michigan against the field, and this might sound strange to say, but James Franklin team. James Franklin isn't 
you know, the indictment against James Franklin at Penn State, when you listen to their fans, he wins all the games he's supposed to, but not the marquee game. And that's what I mean. That's why I don't so, see them falling yeah, out. That's Even not, if they lose to Michigan and Ohio State, they're still 10-2, and two, maybe 9-3 and three after they the lose to WVU in a couple weeks here, obviously. In 2021, it happened to them for strange reasons. Uh, it would take a lot for those strange reasons. I'll tell you what, uh, I'd love to have a hand in that. <laughs> You know, West Virginia shows up, shocks the world. Next thing, great. You know, whoa, there's some questions to answer. So and then they lose to Michigan uh, State a couple weeks later, and then go. it starts yes. to unravel. That, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd love to have a hand now. Now, for Florida State, let's talk about Florida State. This is where these next three are where I would probably place my bet. Okay, Florida State, boy, I, I think they got a, a tremendously underrated quarterback. Drake May Agreed. gets all the love in the ACC, but that kid is a stud. Okay. I think they got a top 10, top 15 edge rusher. I mean, they're they're back to legit old school Florida State talent. Here's the issue. When we start talking about teams against the field, so yes, you see Clemson coming. If you find yourself advancing all the way to the ACC championship, you know what that what's going to be at stake, who you're going to be pitted against. But there's teams along the way. And and now what has Florida State spent the lion's share of this all season doing? Pissing trying off to, the rest of the Trying ACC. to get out of the ACC. Yes. Yeah. And the rest of the ACC is tired of hearing this. So they're going to be plenty amped up for ulterior reasons, off-the-field reasons, when Florida State comes around, not just because they're the Seminoles. So there might be a little extracurricular concerns or considerations there. So that hmm. might get interesting. Uh, Clemson, to me, the Clemson situation all comes down to, to Klubnik. I mean, there's so much love for Kate Klubnik. It, to me, it's it's not been earned yet. He's kind of been anointed. And they just pass the torch because of that position at that program or what's expected out of that position at that program. Uh, he's shown flashes in the second half of last year, but I don't know if the consistency's there. They're nasty on defense. Yes, the schedule's very friendly. Uh, I do believe, and with Riley coming in to run that offense, they'll get a boost. And that might be just what Kate Klubnick needs, uh, Garrett Riley. So I, I struggle to see it happening to them, but maybe Washington's the candidate. In other words, we talked about the depth. Now this is kind of, you know, taking the low hanging fruit. They're sitting there at number 10, but when the rest of the PAC 12 has to offer what they do and the top half of that league can beat each other on any given night. The top half of the PAC 12 is going to be a lot of fun to watch this it year. It sure is. It sure Good is. teams there. So that's, there's possibilities there. So I look at Florida state, Again, just because they've torqued off the rest of the ACC. And I look at uh, uh, Washington because of that Pac 12 schedule. But I would love to beat, I would love to see Penn State repeat what happened to them in 2021, except reverse. 2021, they had a hot start and they folded down the stretch. I'd love to see them come out of the gate struggling. And maybe Kyle Aller's not the answer that they think he is. We'll get into that here in the coming week and a half. Sure. But uh, I would love it to be Penn State. But I, you know, my heart, would like it to be Penn State. My head tells me if I had to pick somebody in those bottom three for those three Same. different reasons, the schedule with yeah. Washington, the quarterback with Clemson, and the schedule at large with Florida State because, this, you know, again, the, the rest of the ACC is not smiling on them right now. I completely agree. It does stink, right? I mean, Texas is ranked 11th, and if they were just one spot higher, there's your easy answer, right? That's oh, easy. classic. That's or so no. Easy. Notre Dame's at 13. If Notre Dame was a few yes. spots higher, like, oh, that's your that's your easy yes. one there. Yeah. And, you know, they're going to run Freeman out of town, right? Uh, but I'm with you. 
Florida State, Clemson, Washington, if I had to uh, to cast a stone down. But that's interesting. We'll have to revisit this at the end One of the season. One quick question to finish with. You got the top mm-hmm. 25 in front of you, Wes? I do, yes. In 20 seconds or less. Let's do this impulsively. 11 through 25, who do you think is most likely, if you had to pick, to finish in the top 10 that's not currently in the preseason top 10? Ooh. I would go with one of the Pac-12 teams. Me too. I um, go. Utah, maybe? Probably Utah. I'd go with. I'd go with Utah. Yeah. I'd I go mean, they've yeah. been quietly such a good program for a decade straight now, consistently hanging around the top 10. And they yeah. were, you know, that slip up at Florida on the road in Gainesville in the opener last year away from a special season being even more special. They kind of got trapped in the, uh, yeah. in the uh, yeah. trapped in the Rose bowl and uh, Notre and Penn state had their way with them, but otherwise they might've been in contention. So now they get to Salt Lake city, the Gators are heading to Salt Lake city. So uh, yeah, I, I would go with Utah. Um, Utah is somebody asked me last week, they said, how does Utah do it? You know, how, as a program, how do they do it to manage the portal roster management? It's not an easy program to do that. At. And my answer is they're tougher than the rest of the pac 12. The Pac-12 is a very finesse league. Utah is not a finesse program. They still play bully ball. They're an Eastern program or even a Southern program in a Western league. They play bully ball. They'll knock you around. Uh, Kyle Whittingham. A lot of of Samoans in the trenches. A lot of Samoans. (laughs) They get it. Big-bodied, strong kids, low center of gravity, understand leverage. I, I always said if if Jeff Castile in a, in a, you know, alternate universe was ever a head coach, to me, he's Kyle Whittingham. That's who he is. I mean, that, that's who Kyle Whittingham like reminds me I of. I like it. You know, so, yeah, that's what I'd go with. I think we're on the same page there. So let us know what you think in the comments as well, too. And, again, we'll we'll try and remember to revisit this sometime in January and, and take a look at the, the top 25 and if Jed and I were right and some of our uh, thoughts and predictions there. But now it is time to get to your Mountaineers. Of course, last week we did our offensive preview on in the gun uh jed and skyler doing some great big 12 conference previews for you as well too that's available all those on our youtube page and, and in our podcast feeds as well if you're um you know trying to get caught up and, and looking to get ready for the college football season here starting in just a couple weeks but jed today defense a little special teams as well too because there are three sides of the ball but i'm sure we'll spend more time talking about the defense than we will the specialists where you want to start here partner Personnel wise, you pick a position group and we'll break it down kind of all right. way through. And then we'll, we'll look let's at do let's 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 do this then because my my let's start with the defensive line because okay, that's great. my that's my biggest concern or worry, I think, position group with WVU as a whole. Um we were so spoiled for so long of, of what, having five or six straight seasons with Darius or Dante on the defensive line, one of those two, you know, the Stills brothers for over half a decade being you know, mainstays on the defensive line. They are no longer there. You lose Jordan Jefferson to the portal last season, a guy who was very key uh, to the success that they had. So that's just, there's a lot of questions for me with that defensive line. There's a lot of unknown. um, And so that's where I would like to pick your brain and see what you think here. If you're, if you're going to let me determine where we begin. Yeah, uh, that's a good place to start right at the point of attack. Again, there's no standouts. There's there's not a Dante that's the obvious alpha in this group. I mean, Sean Martin is a more soft-spoken type kid, but I just think his body of work and the way he approaches his business makes him the leader of this group. But 
the approach, I think, is going to be much different this year. And this kind of ties in. It's probably a good place to start for this reason. I think it ties into conceptually what has to happen with the defense. Okay, so uh, first of all, we want to go almost full hockey rotations, platoon-type rotations. <laughs> I mean, we want to go Line eight, change. Nine, yes, we want to go eight, nine deep, share the workload, share the snap, share the burden. So uh, now that's easier said than done. Okay, if you want to evenly distribute at your discretion uh, snap counts for your defensive tackles, your nose tackles, your defensive ends. In other words, if you look at the D tackle room, uh, you're going to start with Eddie V. Uh, he's the biggest body in there. Uh, he's the most tenacious, high motor kid in there. Uh, what he lacks in talent, he makes up for in tenacity. He's just the motor never stops. There's no off switch with Eddie V. Uh, you got Jalen Thornton, talented kid with some wiggle. Uh, the Hawkins kid has intrigued me since he got here. I like some of the things he showed me uh, in the spring. I think he's an underrated commodity. I don't think that most people will see him coming. So that's kind of the defensive tackle breakdown. Uh, again, from a body type standpoint, you're looking at, let's talk weights, 283, 277, 270. So a little bit of every kind of group there from a distribution standpoint. Nose tackle, that's where the big heavies come in. Uh, Mike Lockhart has taken a big step, a big step. Now, all these guys are going to come in at three bills plus. We're going to talk about him. Hammond Russell has taken a big step. You're seeing really, really good things out of Hammond Russell. And then you got Tommy, uh, the transfer that we almost had coming out of high school lands at Kentucky, and we got him coming in now. So uh, uh, that's your, uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm talking about the nose tackle room of you, Falba, uh, mm -hmm. Malba. Oh, I'm misspeaking here. The kid from Penn State. Yeah, yep. we'll get to the other transfer in a minute. The kid from Penn State, the nose tackle room. So all these kids are 300 plus. So anytime you're talking about the nose tackle room, the conversation, typically this time of year, all comes around one thing, conditioning. How many snaps can you get me without your body forcing you to take one off? So let's talk distribution, okay? Uh, this gets into down and distance in terms of what you're in position to do. So I'm going to give you some figures to look at here. And what's also going to tie in here are your defensive ends, the big rangy Sean Martin, uh, you know, the wingspan of a pterodactyl, but he weighs 291. Yeah, you look at Taurus Simmons, a natural edge rusher. That's why he's so much lighter with that burst in his first step at 245. So there's going to be situations you want Taurus Simmons on the field, situations you don't. You want to reserve him as kind of a specialist type role. Uh, which comes into these down and distance things we're going to talk about. Then you get to Tommy, the kid that we almost had out of high school, goes to Kentucky. He's shown some flashes since he arrived, and he's 278, so he can hold his own against the run. He has some wiggle to him, but he has that, that natural strength as well. Now, if you want to be able to take these different body types, and some of these kids are uniquely asked to do different things, okay? Taurus, more of an edge-rushing threat. Uh, you know, Sean Morton, kind of an every down asset. Uh, some of these kids are going to be asked to be pass rushers. Some of these kids are going to be asked to be more run stoppers. So first intent, all cards are on the tape, right? So the question is, what happens on third down? How often is it third and two as opposed to third and eight? Because if it's third and two, it's tougher to get Torres Simmons on the field. It's tougher to scurry off those 300-pound nose tackles. If it's consistently third and two, all, all third downs aren't created equally, right? So if it's consistently third and two and there's a sustained drive, that's a tough situation to find a way to get a breather and shuffle those guys in and out. You need breaks for that position group 
total, you know, at large. I mean, when you're looking at the nose tackle group, you'd like to get all three of them off the field, you know, a handful of snaps a drive if possible. Well, the way you do that is you dictate the terms by creating third and longs. Now you choose the personnel that's on the field. So if it's third and eight, you can get creative. Now you can shuffle, shuffle your, you can take your will backer and put him at Mike. You can get your mic backer maybe off the field. There's different things you can do, but you can't do it when it's third and two. You got to sure. align yourself to defend certain things in certain terms. Well, how do you do that? Okay, well, you got to win on the early downs. We preach this constantly. Last year, West Virginia did not do that. When you look at what happened to West Virginia on first down, when other teams ran the ball, we, we allowed 4.6 yards per rush, bottom half of the Big 12. When other teams threw the ball, they got a lot of bang for their buck, 8.6 yards per pass attempt on first downs. That's not going to get it done. That's not winning defensive football. So both of those numbers, bottom half of the Big 12, not good enough to get it done. So what you got to do is you got to find a way to climb into the top half of the Big 12. So if you're looking at those numbers, that 8.6 yards per pass attempt on first down, all the struggles that we had against the pass game last year, they were well documented, right, Wes? Well, mm -hmm. let's go back, flash back to 2020 when we led the nation in pass defense. You know how many yards per attempt we allowed in first down that year? 5.0. So you win on the early downs. Yeah, you're still going to face your third downs. But now not only do you have a chance to win more of those third downs because it's third and long, but you get a chance to pick and choose your substitutions. So now if you want to evenly spread that workload, you get to pick how you're doing it. You're not forced to defend the run because it's third and two, third and one. You can't choose when it's third and two, third and one. So it's much more at your discretion. And more good things are downstream of third and long. I mean, the biggest efficiency we've encountered as a defense are, is our inability to force takeaways. We have 36 takeaways over the course of the last three years. That's the fewest in the entire Big 12. Well, what breeds takeaways? Adverse situations for an offense. What's more adverse than third and long? you got to win on the early downs to force those third and third and longs. And if the third and longs are plentiful enough, a handful of different things happen. Now you start to, first of all, force quarterbacks into more desperate decisions. Now you can either get them off the field and force a punt or ideally force a bad decision and make them put that football somewhere in harm's way that they otherwise might not. If they're choosing on third and three, they got options. So from a defensive line standpoint, we want to be able to play seven, eight, nine kids. You'll hear Jordan Wesley talk about it. You'll hear Neil talk about it. Uh, you'll hear the whole defensive staff, Coach Jackson, talk about it. That's easier said than done. I just gave you the script for how it's done, okay? So if you can win on those early downs, now you can pick and choose. You know what? Lockhart's given us good football. How yeah. about we knock or shave six or eight snaps a game off his workload because we're facing a few more third and longs than we're used to. Now we can sub in there. Now Torres Simmons gets a few more reps. Now you might have Jarrett Bartlett sliding inside the box as a pass rusher. So that gives you different options. So I think the body types are there, uh, the skill sets there for each of these kids to do some different things. And it's probably a good time as well. I would even work because it's always the question with the hybrid position at Bandit, where do you work it in? Well, you're working with the backers, do you work into the D-line? Okay, different body types. Again, when you look at Jared Bartlett, an incredibly dynamic first step, 236 pounds, okay? Uh, we all remember what he did against against Virginia Tech a couple of years ago. That's Jared Bartlett at his best. He's almost unblockable off the edge. You put the offense in third and nine, here comes Jared Bartlett. But not only that, if it's third and nine, we'll get into a little bit some of the liabilities we have from a personnel standpoint in coverage. 
Well, now you can start tinkering with that. Maybe you hide those liabilities, either move them around in the alignment or get them off the field altogether and say, hey, Jared Bartlett, can't you slide into the box? We're going to chop the front up and get creative with a little blitz package here. Of course he can. Uh, okay, Tyron Bradley, another addition. We, we've been high on this kid all through camp, Wes, right? This is a different body type. 6'2", 251 pounds. He's played a lot of football. So difference between 236 and 251 at that spot is monumental. Yeah. Now you've got a natural edge guy in James Hurd. So can you get to the point that you don't have to ask a whole lot out of James Hurd other than to do what God gave him? Hey, can you burst off that edge situationally so many times a game and just wreak havoc and make life hell for that, that left tackle or that right tackle? Can you do that? Well, the way you reduce the assignments down and simplify them to that point, third and longs, right? If it's third and two, James Hurd isn't in position to do that. Now you're asking him to hold his own against a big tight end or a tackle. Here comes an ISO his way. It's a different animal. But third and long, you can tinker. You can get creative. You can mix and you can match. So from a personnel standpoint, I think the bandit probably figures in with those body types we're talking about on the defensive line. So it all comes back to this. Can you get back to what we were doing in 2020? We were playing good defensive football, our best defensive football. We played decent football defensively at times in 2021 last year. Uh, again, we showed flashes, but uh, it kind of came apart at the seams. And and case in point, we weren't good as a situational football team defensively last year. And what I mean by that Agreed. is Agreed. We, we talk about the lack of, of turnovers. Well, the modern game is winning on third down. We were okay at that middle of the pack. We've had better defenses and, you know, getting teams off the field on third down. But, you know, we finished sixth in the league. So that's not the reason that we weren't stopping people. We were giving up too many big plays. So when you talk about from a big play standpoint, even even rhythm-based plays, we allowed the other offense to find its rhythm. How do you do that? It's not even necessarily game-breaking 30, 40, 50-yard plays as much as it is 10, 15 yards, 10, 15 yards. Now they can take a shot, 10, 15 yards. When you're a play caller offensively, if you can rip off a couple 10-yard gains and move the sticks on first down with another first down, boom, boom, bang, you take your shot. So you're more inclined to take your shots, which leads to those big plays we're giving up. So think about this number, Wes. A year ago, in 2022, we gave up 14.7 plays per game of 10 yards or more. All right? Now compare that to... Here's a frame of reference. That number means nothing without attaching something to it. The previous two years, that number was the fewest in the Big 12, down around 10 a game, okay? Over the course of 2021 and 2020, it was the fewest in the Big 12, much closer to 10 per game. Last year, that ballooned up to almost 15. So we can't allow those rhythm plays. Many of them were happening on first down. It goes back to what I said. That contributes to those weak first down numbers that I just itemized a minute ago. So you went on the early downs. You don't allow these rhythm-based plays, first down, first down, bang. So you get more wins. You knock them off schedule. You get them behind the sticks, and good things can happen. And then finally, from a situational standpoint, the other thing that I always look at as a critical number is how do you do in the red zone defensively? And red zone stats at large are the most misleading in football unless you look at them the right way. For instance, we talked about this last week in the offensive breakdown. West Virginia actually led the Big 12 in red zone scoring efficiency because they count field goals. That's not winning football, mm -hmm. okay? No. I go straight to what's your touchdown rate. 
What percentage of possessions inside the opposite? When you breach the opposition's 20, how often do you reach the end zone? Well, you want to see the difference between winning and losing defensively last year for West Virginia when the field shrunk, when we were at our best, and when we were at our worst, okay? Red zone defense from a touchdown rate standpoint, the percentage of times that opposing teams drove the football inside the 20 and scored a touchdown. What was that percentage? In losses, it was 79% of the time. When West Virginia lost, 79% lost the game, 79% of the time, the opposition, once they got inside the 20, they reached the end zone. In West Virginia's wins, 43% of the time. We bowed up, we either got to stop outright or we forced a field goal. That's winning football. 43% is championship level defensive football in the red zone. 79% uh-uh. is, last, is last place level. That's <laughs> last place. Yes, that's what that is. So situationally, these are the kind of things that contribute, factor in, and that ties into some of these personnel groups that we're talking about. I think it's kind sure. of all interlinked, but moving on. Moving on, before we do so and talk about the second level of the defense, a shout out, a thank you. This episode of ITG brought to you in part as well by our friends at Toothman Ford. We all know cars cost less in Grafton. Make sure you're uh, checking out their fantastic inventory online and supporting uh, Toothman, who does uh, great stuff for us here and uh, for all of our athletes at WVU and their uh, their commitment to NIL and uh, into the student athletes. All right, Jed, second level of the defense. I listen, I like Lee Koba. I like a lot of the young freshmen that we got uh, behind him as well, too. How how are we feeling about this uh, this second level of the defense? I think one of the critical things to talk about here is that this group, the, these linebacker groups, they're trying to cross-train them, okay? And that kind of ties into what I just talked about. If you cross-train your backer groups, then what you can do is sometime ask your will uh, to play from a mic alignment if the situation from a down and distance standpoint dictates, right? So let's start with what's obvious. Uh, Lee Koba, uh, and we'll get into his strengths and weaknesses to wrap up the linebacker segment here, but Lee Koba is a creature of the box. He's a downhill presence. He's a force to be reckoned with. Uh, he, he makes a difference within the context from tackle to tackle uh, as a box factor, okay? Now, uh, Tyreek Austin Cave, I think you saw him, uh, he was kind of swimming last year. Uh, it started to slow down for him. You've seen some flashes. He needs to steal a couple snaps. Uh, and, you know, I don't like talking about the mics without, to me, Caden Beiser's old school mic backer. You know, it's that's the kind of steady Eddie presence that's the glue, I think, good for any football team. Any defensive football team needs a couple Caden Beisers on it, right? So uh, that rounds out that group. But when you when you look, the question has been throughout the course of camp, the will linebacker spot. Now, first of all, ask yourself, what's the difference between a mic and a will? Okay, well, a lot of times a mic is going to line up in the box and ask to be a very physical downhill presence from the second level. Uh, the difference with a will and a, and a traditional defense, let's go back to the old 4-3-0, defenses. Your will backer was asked to align to the weak side of the formation. Okay. Now, what that dictated was it, it meant you needed a certain skill set to do that. Most teams, again, back in the day, had a tendency to run to the strength of their formation. So, what that meant was if you're going to, by alignment, be backside, you need the strength to chase things down, sideline to sideline. So, speed 
is still a key asset from that position. Okay. And I do think on some level, we have different versions of that with the contributors that are going to look at. Uh, again, when you look at Fabris, he's come a long ways. Uh, but he needs to show that, okay, if he's going to start, it's not, not by default. I mean, he really needs to assert himself and start having an impact instead of just being a placeholder. And right now, uh, without impact plays, it has placeholder feel. Okay, now uh, he, he needs to take that next step. When you look at Trey Lathan, Trey Lathan, you know, we always joke that Mike Leach was the first one I ever heard say this, but when you want to see an athletic football team, uh, from a body type standpoint, they have high asses and long arms. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember when we first got to the big 12, my concern was we'd get off the bus, we'd walk into the stadium. We, we had soggy asses and short arms. Okay. At least our big guys in the trenches and these, these big 12 defenses, high butts, long arms, right? Trey Lathan, high butt, long arms. I mean, he, he's, he's built, he looks the part he's straight from central casting. Uh, Football IQ type kid, there's something there. I think that can come along uh, from a recognition standpoint. Uh, he's had probably a handful of his best days in the last week as a Mountaineer. Uh, so the timing's perfect. Can he assert himself? Can he take that next step and really settle into that spot? That I, I, Again, when, when you're talking about this position and, and tied, you know, tied to the other position, you know, the injury to Trotter matters, right? He would be absolutely front and center with these conversations, Josiah Trotter. Uh, but he's not. Injuries happen. So who's the next man up? Well, in the same class, again, the third name that you're going to mention at Will is you're talking Ben Cutter. I think Ben Cutter is an incredibly instinctive, natural football player. And he's the kind of kid that when I look at him, I can't wait to see what a couple off seasons of Mike Joseph will do with him. Because right now you see the instincts. You see him chase the football. I mean, you see him around the ball. You see his presence. Uh, so it'll be interesting to me how soon he can contribute to what extent. I mean, he could be a guy that right out of the gates on special teams, but he might end up stealing some snaps sooner than you think uh, on the field as a linebacker. And then finally, when you look at Spear, again, when he talked these hybrid positions, where do you put him? Do you put him on the back end? Do you group him in with your backers? Uh, especially with the move that we made from a personnel standpoint this offseason, I'd say it makes sense to put him with the backers. Uh, traditionally, you had uh, kind of a physical safety body type at that spot, right? Uh, that That's not the case necessarily as much this year. Lance Dixon has migrated from the will spot over to that spear spot. Now, what's exciting about that? Uh, Lance Dixon's a kid with incredible speed and incre- incredible strength. So from a physicality and matchup standpoint, you know, we talked about no Massey being an issue uh, because now he's bringing 240 pounds to bear from the slot position on those hybrid type players, those hybrid type defenders. Well, Lance Dixon's on the heavier end, more physical end of those hybrid types. He's considered a quasi hybrid type, but he's more from the old true backer school than he is from the safety school. So that gives us an opportunity from a physicality standpoint when teams do try and bounce things and find the edge, now you might have a disadvantage against West Virginia with Lance Dixon forcing that edge from the perimeter, oftentimes playing over top of the slot. Sometimes that's going to be the case, or maybe what we call apexing that slot. Apex be, you know, you split the difference between the tackle or the tight end and the slots. So you're going to see Lance Dixon hovering out in that neighborhood 
and bringing a much different body type, a much different level of physicality. Uh, Hershey McLaurin, more of the true Satan type. So again, if you have tools in a toolbox, you're going to ask yourself, down in distance, what do I have to play with and tinker with here? So let's get back to it. Now, I want to double back to the good and the bad of Lee Koba. Okay, now just imagine if it's third and two, Lee Koba has to be on the football field. He's your most physical box presence as a downhill factor against mm -hmm. the run. He has to be on the field. If it's third and eight, does he? Okay, you see? So when you break Lee Koba down, again, the tape is supported by what the metrics say. When you watch Lee Koba on tape, for instance, you had a situation early in the TCU game. If you go back and watch last year's tape, West Virginia is up seven to nothing early in the game. TCU has a second and long, 14. We won on first down. We had one of those rare first down victories. So we forced them into a second 14. They're off schedule. From their own 29-yard line, great opportunity to win on second down, force a third and long, force a turnover, get the ball back one or the other with a punt. Instead, Sonny Dykes gets just creative enough that he has trips to the wide side of the field to the left. He motions to quads, to a four-receiver look, okay? We don't handle the motion well. Lee Koba should have had some help, but he didn't. Instead, he was individually isolated on Darius Davis. No way in Sam Hell is Lee Koba winning that matchup. Darius Davis runs right past him, over top him to the far hash. Max Duggan delivers a perfect strike. It was the easiest read he's ever going to make. Instruments up, 71-yard touchdown. The problem was, you look at the metrics and when you watch the tape, that was somewhat, now that wasn't entirely Lee's fault. He should have had some help on that. But there were some other times, he's certainly not talented enough for all his strengths in the box. He's not talented enough to compensate for others' errors on the back end or in space. So when you look at the numbers, <clears throat> Lee Koba, among starting Big 12 linebackers who logged 400 or more snaps last year, he had the highest tackling grade Again, that box presence, his tackling grade on pro football focus was 83.5. Watch any game tape, and it's supported by those numbers. The tape supports the numbers. The numbers support the tape. Uh, now, in addition to this, he's also a factor in the pass rush. So what we like to do, especially from an odd front configuration, is chop the front up and bring four. Uh, and oftentimes, that fourth guy might be the Mike Backer, you know, with different stunts and different looks that we like to give. Well, Lee kind of has a knack for doing that type of thing. For, so when you look at his grade, he was the eighth-rated pass rusher in this group. So he was among the best at that, too. That's the good. What about the bad? Lee Koba, by a wide margin, had the lowest coverage grade. His coverage grade was 34.5, by far the lowest among these linebackers, by a considerable margin. Opposing patch pass catchers that were covered by Lee Koba were targeted. Now, this isn't a perfect science. Again, I just walked you through a scenario where if you're watching the tape, you're going to hold him entirely liable when he should have had some help against Darius Davis. But these numbers are somewhat reflective of troubles that we had. He was targeted 27 times. Receivers caught 24 of those 27 Ooh. for an average of 15 yards per grab, Ooh. which was the second highest number in this entire group. For the season, he allowed 242 yards after catch. So that was also the second most in this group. So right there, 
the numbers and the tape show you what Lee Cave is incredible at and what Lee Cave is not so incredible at. So you got to mask the deficiencies. Now, first of all, you understand those deficiencies and you spend your off season in part trying to address those deficiencies. Will he, will he still suffer to the extent that he did against the pass and in space? I doubt he will because he understood that and spent the off season trying to improve it. But at some point, you are what you are. So now it's incumbent upon the staff. What you have to do is you have to find a way to feature Koba's considerable strength as a downhill box presence, while at the same time limiting his role in coverage. That's going to be critical for Jordan Leslie and the staff. So you got to get the best of them, but hide the worst of them. And there's different ways to do that. Again, if you think of an odd front configuration, uh, your typical odd fronts can have multiple backers. So now you can ask different backers to do different things. So now maybe you don't have to ask Lee Cobra to be in space as much. Maybe you can disguise it and hide it just enough that maybe somebody else is over top. But I, I go back to what I initially said. If it's third and two, you don't have much choice. Lee Coba has to be in there. And you don't think opposing O coordinators and play callers are seeing what I'm seeing and game planning and thinking, yeah, it might be third and two. But you know what? What I like about third and two is Lee Coba is going to be on the field. Right. I have a matchup that I just love. So you watch this little play action deal that I go with a choice route out of my slot or my tight end or my back, or it might be to isolate him on Lee Coba in a matchup that I absolutely love. So first, get out of those third and twos and make them third and longs. Second, he had to spend the offseason addressing that. But you have to get the best out of a kid like that while trying to address the worst. So I'm sure he got better in coverage and he got better in space. And you saw, you see some of it in camp, okay? But that's not going to be his his outright strength. His outright strength is lining up in the box, facing downhill physical physicality from a pulling guard or a tackle who's pinching down or a center who's climbing to the second level or a lead fullback, punching that player in the face, shedding that block and making a very secure. If tackle. he if he, he played if he played. If he played Iowa and Wisconsin every week, he'd be the best linebacker oh, in college football. He'd be the best linebacker in college football. Absolutely. He's the kind of kid. He'd put up Grant Wiley numbers. If he played Army, he'd have 28 tackles. Yeah, right, right. He absolutely would. There's no doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind, you know. So <laughs> that, that that's kind of what you're looking at here. So I hope that – what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tie the, tie the personnel into the numbers and the scheme and the goal, Right. So instead of just looking at this, hey, here's who we got back, and they logged this many. No, okay, what's that actually mean? Okay, so uh, I'm trying to provide both the micro and the macro as we talk about this, and maybe give it to people in a way that they otherwise might not might not hear it. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's great context for sure. Uh, another thank you to our friends at GoMart. Make sure you're signing up for your GoMart rewards. As you travel throughout the Mountain State and onward, GoMart is here to keep you going. Uh, secondary, Jed, you you mentioned it. Um, pretty quick 180, you know, from what was the best pass defense in the conference and one of the best in the country just a couple eight, uh, couple years ago to now um, an area where the defense struggled uh, last season. And once again, right, there's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of transfer portal. There's there's a yeah. lot of just, just question marks. Uh, unknown, not question marks in the sense of, you know, saying that, that, um, about these guys' talent or anything like that. Just, just new faces, new skill sets. Uh, so what do you got for us on the back end? Uh, let's start with the corners and then we'll work our way to the safety spots. Um, 
what's interesting again when you look at it the, the the folks in that position group who were targeted the most are gone okay <laughs> they were targeted the most for a reason they're gone uh, but what you need now it's exciting to see the new faces we have in the room there's no doubt about that uh there's no doubt about that uh i mean i think montre miller can be a difference maker he was an exciting player in the mac uh with mac players around him playing against mac players he was very productive uh, I think he has some high-end possibilities. Beanie Bishop really excites me. I think Beanie Bishop is a veteran kid who's played a lot of football. He played really good football for Minnesota. Uh, he assumes a different role in this group. Uh, one of the things right out of the gates, he played at Penn State last year, played pretty well. So, mm -hmm. you know, you think he's going to blink in front of 110,000 people who's been there, done that. He he played against Penn State last year. And he played pretty well against Penn State last year. So I think Beanie Bishop, uh, is in position to uh, potentially hold his own uh, and and contributing. We talk multiple body types, multiple kids. You're going to have to have multiple kids in these in this room with these these corners. So the new kids are going to have to contribute without question. They're going to have to contribute. They're going to be asked to contribute. Uh, and one of the things I like about it is from a ball skill standpoint. Okay, uh, we targeted kids that when you looked in the portal. One of the things that Jordan Leslie and the staff were looking at was, all right, they talked to the scouting department when Matt Jansen was here last year. He said, all right, show me kids who are at their best when the ball's in flight, because that's what we lack. We lack guys who play the ball well, guys who track the ball, guys who get hands on the ball. That's where turnovers come from. They, they start with PBUs. Pass breakups ultimately lead to turnovers. You still got to start by being around the football. PBUs are, are – an indicator of a defender who's around the ball. Okay, so uh, we have the position group at large, uh, but I'm just going to go kind of corners first, then safeties. So when you look at a couple of the transfers, Montre Miller, again, he's played a lot of football. Uh, he has 24 career passes defended. That includes six career interceptions. So he's made plays on the football, lots of plays. And he also has 114 tackles. So he doesn't shy away from from the from you know he's not afraid to stick his nose in against a uh, a downhill attack. So uh, when you look at Beanie Bishop, uh, this is a kid with ten career pass breakups, over a hundred career tackles. Another kid who's played a lot of football. So yes, we're going to need those kids to contribute. But one of the things that Neil's touched on, and it's a great point, you take your steps as a unit defensively, in part because of the new faces. Yes. But the biggest steps and the biggest improvements need to be made by the kids that are coming back. They've been, they played within the scheme. They see the big picture and you saw flashes of it. I mean, even if you want our, our defensive season in microcosm, it was Malachi Ruffin against Oklahoma state with the craziness you saw with the attempted strip and what that led to in the first half to late in the game. Yes. Making late in the play. game. Yes. Yeah. He was a, a critical part of getting that last stop on that last possession. So you're going to need his best football. He's going to have to play some kind of role. But when you look at a combination of Andrew Wilson, Lamp, Jacoby Spells, they need to take a step. Again, these guys, they get off the bus, they look the part. It started with that. Even in recruiting, you could tell these are Big 12-built defenders. These are Big 12-looking corners. So now it's just a function. Has the game slowed down enough for them? I mean, you saw the good and you saw the bad. I mean, you start with uh, with Andrew Wilson, Lamp. 
you saw the good last year with what he did, even in that loss to Texas. There were some flashes from him. Uh, in the win against Oklahoma State, he did some good things. But some of the bad, uh, Texas Tech, he was right there with the worst of them defensively. Uh, Iowa State, Xavier Worthy, I think, still you know having his way with uh, Andrew Wilson-Lamb. Uh, and, and then go to Jacoby Spells. I mean, obviously what jumps out, what people are going to remember, uh, is the pick six against Virginia Tech. Right place, right time. He was Johnny on the spot. But but that's not the only play he made in that Virginia Tech game. He played solid football through a lot of that Virginia Tech game. You need more of that. And less of what you know he did when he struggled against Kansas State, against Texas, against uh, Oklahoma State. So you saw some of the good. You saw some of the bad. Uh, we need that kind of a tilt. So we need those guys to take a step. And if those guys are able to take a step, and you hope the leadership provided by not only Beanie Bishop, to a, but to a lesser extent Miller, uh, that that presence and the fact that Beanie Bishop's not going to shy away from it. Again, he was a productive contributor for a very good Minnesota defense playing against high-level competition in the Big Ten. And before that, he played a ton of football at Western Kentucky. So he's been around the block. He's not going to blink. And it all starts with that. You need a kid who understands the, the need to have a short memory at that position uh the best in the business are going to have their bad moments and their bad plays you got to put it behind your short memory recovering going to make the next play and th that that comes from the production is going to translate into plays on the ball passes defended pass breakups interceptions so that's where i look at that room uh so what are your thoughts before we move on to the safeties uh, I like your Malachi Ruffin. I mean, I think that 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 Oklahoma State game. You're you're absolutely right. That's it in a nutshell. There's the yeah. the frustration of the premature celebration. There's the response to to hang in there mentally and and go make a play that that leads your team to victory. Uh, I like the unknown of Beanie Bishop. I like the leadership of Aubrey Burks. Um, you know, I I think the 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 PBU and the ball hawking and the playmaking ability that you mentioned is something that that we haven't tangibly had for a couple years and that's part of why too um the turnover margins the turnover ratios haven't been what we've wanted or what we've needed the last couple years either so you're right you start getting hands on footballs that leads to more interceptions um i there's there's a lot to work with there in that in that group again it's just a lot of unknown it's new faces it's new skill sets how quickly can they gel together and then like you said too we know malachi ruffin can make plays we know aubrey burks can make plays he's been i mean a lot of outlets have have given him a lot of love rightfully so for the season he had last year and, and in predictions about this season as well too um andrew wilson lamp getting a little bit older uh but can those guys improve because I, I think you're absolutely right in that. Um, transfers, there's always going to be hit or miss. There's always going to be guys that are going to come in and have a positive impact. There's always going to going to be guys that don't give you as much as you thought you were going to get. But if you can get those guys that are returning, that are already part of that core, to take a step forward together, I think that's that's when you could be cooking on the back end. And, you know, you mentioned a couple of safeties. Aubrey Burks, as advertised, uh, he was already, especially toward the end of last season, playing really good football. Mm -hmm. uh, he's taken a step this offseason. He really has taken a step this offseason. I'm sure he has, yeah. Uh, I mean, we've seen it every, We've seen it every year from him. I wouldn't expect that to change this offseason. Yeah, when you watch the reps in practice, he's a physical presence. Yes, he's a center fielder who can play in space, and that's what you're going to ask out of your free safety. Uh, but what is what is improvement, even a modicum of improvement, look like 
in a kid like that that's playing that back end. I'll give you one play. There's no doubt in my mind that if given the opportunity in a situation like he was given in the end zone of a deep ball at Texas, that ball is not tipped out of his hands and caught by Xavier Worthy for a touchdown. We said desperately needed a stop. That's a pick. Mm -hmm. Aubrey Burks picks that football off. So when we so desperately needed that stop, it instead wasn't a stop. It was a deflected pass touchdown for Texas. He makes that play now. He makes that play. So it's one thing to be an efficient center fielder and a, and a kid that's comfortable in space, but it's another thing to have that same comfort level in space when you're being physical and playing downhill and you're attacking perimeter screens. And I'm telling you, when you watch him rep things out in practice, all August, that's what it's looked like. He is a physical kid. Now, Keyshawn Cobb, a kid from Buffalo, he's another kid that when you look what he brings to the table in one season at Buffalo, nine passes defended. He had a pick. So he's just here one year, and he was already around the football a lot. So he finds his way to the football. I see him making some plays whether in various team settings in practice. Uh, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, oftentimes when there's so much turnover, and that's the new era, the new age, you know, who's number 23? So I keep my roster next to me as I'm watching the practice tape. And a couple of times I found myself checking 23. That's Keyshawn Kyle. Okay, okay. Now I know he is. He made two plays. Now I remember you. So that's kind of how it works. And moving across to that cat, cat safety spot, Marcus Floyd, again, showed flashes last year. Uh, there were times that he looked like a kid who transferred from, you know, a lower level school. There were times he looked like, uh, a legitimate Big 12 back-end defender. Uh, so if we see more of the good out of him, uh, and I think we can, there's a lot of promise there. And one kid that I want to talk about, you talk about checking the numbers and checking the lineup, all right? Anthony Wilson is a kid transferred from Georgia Southern, one of the transfers we're talking about, uh, played a ton of football at Georgia Southern. You want to hear his career numbers? 23 passes defended, picked off a couple balls. 23 passes defended. That's a safety who finds his way to activity. He finds his way to the football. He gravitates toward action. But most importantly, and boy, Wes, I'm telling you right now, when I watch these practice reps, when I watch him in scrimmages and in team settings and practice, this is what I see. Career tackles at Georgia Southern, 247. This kid is 5'9", maybe. Maybe he wears number 12. That kid, I don't care if he's five, six, he has dog in him. He has dog in him. I'm, I'm telling you, you give me a safety with the Napoleon complex. I'll take it every time because <laughs> that kid plays nasty. He's smart. He's coachable. Uh, he soaks it in like a sponge, but he is physical. I, I mean, a, a compact physical player covers space blows up a screen don't tell me i'm five nine i mean he's five nine playing six two so he just he's a football player he is the prototypical forget the size forget the measurements forget all that give me a football player he is a football player so i don't know what role he will play but he's gonna have a role i mean that kid brings it and he brings it every snap you need those kind of guys. Yes, you absolutely yeah. do. You absolutely That's... do. I mean, he's just, he has that kind of infectious nastiness, you know? 
Sure. Sure. Yeah. That you, you, you need those kind of guys. Yeah. The Napoleon safety. I love that. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to, we'll have to keep that one in the back pocket for the rest of the season. Yeah. No, Hey, that's, you need those guys in your secondary. I like that too. There's a lot of, you've got a lot of homegrown guys there that have been with the program for a while. Now you've got a lot of new faces that are coming from other programs, some veterans, some younger guys. I, I do think it's a nice blend there on the back end a uh, a final thank you to fortis as well too presenting sponsor of itg for roof performance and financial security guaranteed make sure you're visiting fortis.us.com all right jed as we wrap this up of course we got to show some love to the third side of the football right special teams of course here uh what you what you got for us in this special teams conversation i'm gonna give you some quick thoughts toss it back to you and then i'm gonna close with some thoughts but uh first of all you know if you haven't seen it, uh, about a week and a half ago, it was recently, uh, John Antonic at WVSports.com did a really nice piece, a nice feature on Oliver Straw. Uh, I don't think Ollie Straw gets nearly enough love. Now, part of that is uh, the Big 12 is a league top-heavy with some incredibly talented punters, Austin McNamara on down the list. But Oliver Straw uh, has come from when he showed up on campus – I mean, we thought we were really getting something right out of the gates. But when he showed up on campus, we're like, whoa, is this going to work? But once that light came on, that light came on. And uh, he was a consistent presence, a field position weapon, uh, just a sniper who can drop things inside the 20, uh, you know, on a dime. Uh, And you're going to see even better things out of him. Uh, He's so talented. He's so versatile from a situational punting standpoint. Uh, he can hit a spot on the field. Uh, I mean, he can give you hang time when you need it from a coverage standpoint. Uh, that's a kid that, boy, he is, he doesn't get nearly enough credit. And in a game, we're going to be talking, when you talk transition units, and you talk field position, you're going to be talking so much about hidden yardage, and that translates to starting field position. So when, from a starting field position standpoint, you know, if you're on the 21-22 as opposed to the 28-29, which TCU, K-State, the, the premium teams in the league, that's that's really all you need to know. That's all the difference in the world. And and that's a metric that when you track it, you can win football games when you lose the field position battle, but it's a heck of a lot harder. Maybe not to the extent that, that losing the turnover margin is, but it's right in that conversation. So when you have weapons like Oliver Straw that can impact that, especially against some of these talented punters that we are going to continue to face, you can offset them with, with, with a guy like Ollie. Uh, that's a weapon. And what I want you to talk about, and I'll double back to it, interesting battle with the kickers because you have two possible landing spots here with both the place kicker spot and the kicking specialist spot for kickoffs. Uh, You have Michael Hayes, who's a transfer, an established kid, and you have Danny King with a lot of boom as a returning kid. What are your initial thoughts? Because I'm trying to track something down here that I want to find that I want to close with a number because I want a number to support uh, something that that I recognize, but I want to number with it. Um, you know, Ollie Straw, I agree, underrated. I will say though, right? I mean, he's still a relatively new face, uh, still so young, and I think you know, perfectly with what you said with uh, with the secondary just a few minutes ago in terms of. Yeah, you always want to see the new faces and how they're going to contribute and what they've got going on. But what you really need are your guys that are returning every season to come back better, to continue to improve, to progress. And if we get that from Ollie Straw, I mean, look out, because a really good starting point for him last season, if he's able to build on that, get better, continue to grow, 
that in terms of the field position game is everything you just mentioned. It might sound crazy, right? People might think, oh, what's a seven-yard difference really mean? Seven yards, that's not even a, a first down. It's huge. I mean, it, those those are the margins that you those are the margins that you win on in a sport like football, where you know the the gap between teams is is shrinking and shrinking every single year. As as coaches get better, as players get more talented, as transfer portal and things like that are involved as well too. So, I'm with you on that. Um, mm-hmm. With that being said, as well too, you know, a kicker who can consistently just kick the ball out of the back of the end zone on a kickoff is a huge benefit. That's something that has been hot and cold for us at times in recent years. So those are the margins for, for a yeah. program like WVU, you know, Jed, and you, you say this all the time, you know, who has to do more with less. Uh, we, I'm not breaking any news here. We don't recruit like Texas. We don't recruit like Oklahoma. We don't recruit like Penn state. Um, you've got to win in those margins. That's how you make up for, for some of the talent gap with some of the teams you will play. And hopefully we're, hopefully we're at a point where we're bridging that gap here this season. I think that's the case. Uh, of course, you want to hit on some of the possibilities we have in the return game. Not only Jay Sean Polk, another kid who came in from the MAC. Uh, I think he has some. He's going to have some opportunities in the quick game as from as a receiver, but also as a returner. Not just him, but some of these other young kids are doing some really promising things in the return game. Now, whether you look at the punt return game or the kickoff return game, it's not what it was in the old days. Of, I'm going to date myself, Dave Meggett with the Giants, right? Uh, it, it's much more difficult to have a return return specialist find their role because the punters and the kickers are so good. Punters punt away from them. They punt directionally. The good ones do. Much like Ollie Straw, it's hard to return a punt against them. And you just hit on it. From a kickoff specialty standpoint, this is the number I was trying to track. Uh, when you look at, because I, I think that Michael Hayes and Danny King have had a spirited battle throughout the course of of uh, of camp, and it's going to be interesting. See, I think you have two viable options to see who ends up kicking the PATs and kicking the field goals. But from a kickoff specialty standpoint, I'd be surprised if that's not Michael Hayes. Uh, here's what I look at: we seem to be facing teams every time we turn around in the Big Twelve that. 60 70 percent of the time their kicker is kicking it into the end zone you have no chance to return so right there is a winning recipe for for field position we haven't been able to do that when you look at our kickers the last couple years the percentages that we've scored touchbacks on kickoffs in 2021 it was 18 percent last year with parker grothaus transferring in we got it up to 36 percent okay Michael Hayes is a kid who at Georgia State last year led the Sun Belt with a 68% touchback rate. So now we're right there in that conversation. So those yards that we've been losing from the starting field position standpoint that Mm -hmm. you just hit on that critical six, seven-yard gap, that's another guy and another weapon that can quietly cut into that differential. And those are the types of things that – Wes, when you, when you start to try and, and build your football team in such a way quietly with little elements like this that don't really, you know, get a lot of flash or a lot of headlines, but you steal a yard here, a yard there, uh, the next thing you know, you're you're starting at the 26 instead of the 22, and the other team's starting at the 26 instead of the 28. I, it, it's almost like you're cutting the opposition. They're, they're bleeding, and they don't know they're cut. That That's kind of what it feels like. So – 
that's been used against us for a handful of years now. We don't get a return of kickoff. So now if we can hand that same issue to the other team and a good portion of the time, 68, 70% of the time, they don't get a return of kickoff. Or right. if they do, it's on our terms. A guy like that, hey, uh, I'll tell you what, on this one, Michael, what we're going to do is we're going to let them return it, but only because you're going to kick it so high and place it on the five over here on the left, and we're going to have coverage right there where we want it. Now, if they're silly enough to return it, great. That's advantage us, but they'll probably fair catch it. So a guy like that can be this quiet little weapon. 100%. One more, one more penny in that stack of pennies, right? So that's, mm-hmm. that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're just, you're, you're trying, you know, you, you don't have to hit home runs to score runs, right? I mean, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can get on, you can get on first base by getting a walk. You can hit singles. You know, there's, there's a lot of ways to score runs. It doesn't always have to be a home run. And one of those ways that you, that you get on base and and help your chance to score runs is in the margins in that field position battle. Cardinals, right? That's that's it. That's it. Steal bases, do whatever you got to do. Right. Um, You don't. Willie McGee, boy, am I dating myself now. We got to get out of here. Right. You don't, have, you don't have to have murderers row in your lineup. Yeah. Uh, there's there's more than that one Jack way to Park. skin that cat. <laughs> um, and yeah, between Ollie Straw, between between Mike Hayes, um, I'm I'm hoping we're we're cooking with gas in in that department this season. Uh, Jed, that was fun today. I tell you what, I uh, feel much more knowledgeable than I did about an hour or so ago. Great breakdowns as always. Um, for those of you, again, that missed it last week, we did our offensive preview. So if you're just catching this one, if you're finding us on YouTube or your podcast platforms and you're liking what you're hearing and you want some more, uh, we did do offense last week as well, too. Jed and yeah. Skyler with uh, with some great Big 12 breakdowns as well in the interim there. So we're getting closer and closer to the real thing. When you start doing the previews and the breakdowns, you know that's when we're getting close here. We'll have more on Penn State here soon as we roll along and uh, more um stuff for you as we get closer you want some breaking news uh first of all uh a quick comment on owen i you know it's shout out to Owen. rest up yeah hope he's feeling better hope you get better no wonder your back's hurt can you imagine every step of your life carrying a legend that heavy i mean come on it's that that has to wear on your back right true it's true uh but uh breaking news here uh i think we're now in position to announce this it's very much looking like we will have a new regular feature guest on in the gun podcast starting a week of the Penn state game going through the end of the regular season, no other than the inimitable Phil Steele, uh, breaking down, uh, marquee. Yes. Yes. That Phil Steele. Yes. Phil Steele, that guy, Phil Steele of Phil Steele college football, breaking down the marquee top 25 games with, uh, most likely it's probably going to shake out usually me and Skyler and, uh, and he'll break down the big 12 games and he'll break down the West Virginia game. Now here's what I love about it. You know, his people will walk you through when you talk to him. First of all, it's fascinating to the backside of that operation, how it all works up in Cleveland and how they do that. He has like 15-ish full-time folks who work for him. It's crazy. Uh, get the, mag- the magazine out. But but uh, it's very interesting. They said, all right, well, here's the deal with Phil. Uh, yeah, uh, you, you can work this out, work it out with him. But he doesn't. he's not going to do this until at least midweek or later in the week because he refuses to do something until he has his preparation done. So you'd expect no less from Phil Steele, right? Right. He's not so, hopping on a Monday where he, until right. he's had time yeah, to fully it. break I mean, down. That, yeah, Steele's that's not right. A guy, so he's not a winging guy. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we're we're really excited about that. An alliance that's with awesome. Phil Steele. He only does a handful of these things around the country uh, once the season starts. 
Uh, you probably have him sitting in there somewhere. I was going to say, I'll have to, I'll have to hide the street and Smith whenever we uh, have him, right. <laughs> whenever yeah. we have him. That's on. right. Yeah. I do. So, I've got some uh, Phil Steele's so in here somewhere. Times. I'll so have to, I'll have to change we've, brought on, we've brought on a real producer, uh, you know, with some chops in this and Skyler, uh, you know, he, he's talking about versatility. We got our own kind of, you know, backer there. We do. Three different spots we do. I'll tell you what, so we got some versatility there. And that now, in addition to our new producer, who's taking us up several notches. I mean, we're seeing all kind of pickups from, from the addition of Skylar. Uh, but uh, now we're uh, bringing in Phil Steele. So uh, we're, we're cooking with gas now. That's what we're doing. When we said we had big things happening for you all summer, we weren't lying here. We're truth tellers on ITG. All right. No games, no gimmicks, no, uh, you know, need to try and blow smoke and create attention on social media by saying or, or doing outlandish things like some people do out there in the realm. Uh, just uh, just good, hard-hitting information and uh, and great new additions like our guy Skyler and, and Phil Steele jumping into the fray as well, too. It's going to be a fun football season. We're getting close. I mean, preseason games going on right now in the NFL. We're getting there um, and just about almost uh, two weeks away from that game. Or wait, three weeks away almost, right? Yeah, from that, from that. Now I'm, now I'm getting information. I'm getting it. There you, uh, Coach there you go. Are coordinating. Okay, after the game, what are we going to do? We're going to. Yeah, it's 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 here. It's almost here. It's it's almost here. Yeah, it certainly is. It's exciting time of year, um, and we'll continue to get you ready as as best as we can here on ITG. Uh, thanks to our guy Skyler for producing this one for us. All the best to Owen as he continues to recover. And as always, the one thing that we ask of you is to be an ear and tell an ear about your new favorite WVU football podcast. I know we're over a year anniversary at this point of this show, but I'm going to continue to roll with your favorite new or your favorite new WVU football podcast. Maybe remember, that'll be our tagline 20 years remember, from now when we're massive. I'm a huge Conan O'Brien guy, and you probably are too. Okay, I'd be surprised if you're not. I like Conan. Like you remember Coded, in yeah. the year 2000, the feature? You're way too young for this probably, but back in the 90s, yeah. they started a feature in the year 2000 and Andy Richter and Conan O'Brien would tell you things that were going to happen in the year 2000. And they started this sometime in the late nineties, mid nineties, maybe. Even. Sure. Sure. And they led up to it for, for, you know, several years. Well, the year 2000 comes and goes, they continue. They keep doing it. 2004. There's the end of the year 2000. So we That's are doing favorite Mountaineer football podcast. Absolutely. Listen, oh, cool. all the, all the, all the best shows. I don't care if it's TV podcast, radio, whatever. I don't care if it's news or politics or entertainment or sports. They all have those little quirks, those little inside jokes that, that the listeners get. And maybe people on the outside don't quite understand, but that's what makes it fun. That's what makes you feel like you're part of the show as a listener. And so, yes, we will always be your favorite new WVU football podcast, itgfootball.com. In the Gun podcast on all your social media channels. Make sure you're subscribing on YouTube there too as we continue to pump out some great content for you visually. That'll do it for us this week. We'll be back with plenty of good stuff next week. As always, for the signal caller, Jed Drenning, and for Big O and Skyler as well too, I'm Wesley Euler. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. We'll talk to you next week. You've been In the Gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.